Hey, what's up, everybody? It's John with Skillet. You are listening to the Thunder Underground. Welcome to episode 341 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always. This week we've got a cool one because we've got John Cooper of Skillet joining the podcast. Very cool stuff. We've got about a 30-minute interview with John coming up here in just a bit, talking about their brand new album, Dominion, that just came out in January. And a lot of other great stuff. Gonna dive into that here in a bit. But first up, we've got to talk about a couple other things. We've got to run through our sponsors. All that great stuff. Here we are right at the beginning of March. This year's already starting to fly by, right? I don't know. We People say that all the time as they get older. But here we are. Anyway, coming up this weekend, March 4th. In Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, Seven Dust and Tetrarch will be at the Diamond Ballroom. This tour is actually kicking off that day in Oklahoma City and running through America. So if you're anywhere that that tour is near, check it out. I'm sure by now, if you're a living, breathing human being that listens to rock music, you know that Seven Dust is one of the best live bands you can see. And here we are 25 years after their debut album and they're still one of the most consistent hard rock heavy metal acts out there can't ever go wrong john Connolly from seven dust was actually on this podcast it's been a while back now probably three years ago that was a real fun one and then speaking of the opener tetrarch diamond row the lead guitarist she was on here just this past year talking about their new album and they've really made some noise here in this past year or two so if you're not familiar with tetrarch check them out even if you're not going to the show any of the shows on this tour be sure and check them out great new band that i imagine will 25 years from now we'll be talking about them still just like seven dust can you imagine 25 years from now podcast will that even be a thing you know, 25 years ago, podcasts weren't a thing, even though the internet was already with us. But 25 years from now, it'll probably be like, hey, I wonder what an interview with John Cooper from Skillet would be like. And then it just pops into your head, digitally streams right there into your mind. Okay, sorry to get off on a weird tangent there. Anyway, Seven Dust Tetrarch in Oklahoma City this weekend kicking off that tour. There's a good chance I will be out there. So if you're out there, say what's up. March 4th is also my parents' 55th anniversary. I know that has nothing to do with music, but that's something that should be celebrated, right? 55 years. A lot of people are lucky to make it five months. So, you know, get on my parents for being the badasses that they are and a happy anniversary to them. So, anyway, let me jump into our sponsors real quick. Med Farm is a dispensary located in Broken Air, Oklahoma. 24683 East Highway 51, they're right off the highway. One of the great things about Med Farm is they have a drive-thru. Not only that, their drive-thru is open 24 hours a day. There aren't many dispensaries around that can say that, at least in Oklahoma, that I know of. If you call, text, or email ahead, you can place your order, so all you have to do is run through that drive through pick it up, and be on your way. 
You can also go in, of course, their entire selections online at leafly.com if you want to check it out before you head in. If not, they've got a big selection. They're always running specials on their social medias. Follow them. MedFarm on Facebook, that's P-H-R-M. And on Instagram, it's MedFarmOK. Their website is MedFarmOK.com. If you mention Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order, which is awesome. But what is even more awesome than that is 30% of their proceeds at all times go to build no-kill animal shelters. So I know that there's a million dispensaries that you can check out and hit up. But this is the reason you need to hit up MedFarm. You know, even if there's one next door to your house, which there probably is these days, drive the extra 10 or 15 minutes over to MedFarm because a third of what you're spending is going to an amazing cause. But a huge thank you to MedFarm. Sunset Tattoo is a tattoo shop located in Midtown Tulsa. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed. They are mother approved. 25 plus years of experience. You can see pictures of all their work on Instagram at Sunset Tattoo Tulsa. Same thing on Facebook. Personally, I've had a tattoo done at Sunset Tattoo by Jake. And I know a few other people that have as well. There's also many touring musicians out there that have had Jake do tattoos on him. So if you want to be like a rock star, hit up Jake, give him a call, shoot him an email to set up a time to figure out and talk about what work you want to have done. This guy can do it all. So hit up Jake and tell him you heard about him here. DEB Concerts is a promoter based in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They keep bringing some great acts to the Tulsa area. Bands like Saxon, Last in Line, Winger, Buck Cherry. Steelheart, Bisto Blanco, there's a long list. They're also booking shows now at the BOK Center. They brought in Snoop Dogg and Nelly a couple of years ago, and now, this month, they are bringing back Snoop Dogg. Two nights. Can you believe that, folks? Two nights at the BOK Center in Tulsa, March 24th and March 25th. Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, and Warren G. It's like the early 90s hip-hop. Just took a dump all over you, and it's going to be glorious. I promise you that. Two of the best of all time right there, and Warren G is just as great. So if you love your hip-hop, check that out, BOKCenter.com. Also at the BOK Center in August, Poison will be making their return to Tulsa. And when I say making their return to Tulsa, I don't think Poison has been to Tulsa in like 30 years. They've been to Oklahoma a bunch. They've played Rocklahoma a few times. They have played uh, Oklahoma City several times. Of course, Brett Michaels' solo has been around, but Poison is a band I don't think has played Tulsa since like 91. I could be wrong, but that's what I'm running with right now. That show also features Tom Kiefer of Cinderella and L.A. Guns. So you get a great glam-era rock fest right there at the BOK Center in August. Once again, BOKCenter.com. DEBconcerts.com. Follow them on Facebook, DEB Concerts, also on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, mention that you heard about them here, and we'll also, of course, bring you announcements as they come, such as Rocklahoma, because DEB Concerts books the Roadhouse stage at Rocklahoma every year. So we'll be talking about that soon enough. All right. Last Saturday night, I saw the Ghost Full Beat Tour. Well, I say saw, I saw part of it. I actually was working the show 
and I caught most of Ghost. I heard Volbeat in their entirety, but I did not get to see them. And same with Twin Temple. I heard them in their entirety. Did not get to see them. But this is a... I really love this tour package because you've got two bands, or actually three bands, because I've seen some comments about Twin Temple in recent months. But you've got three bands that are very divisive, I guess, or polarizing to fans. You know, when it comes to Ghost, there's several reasons people love them and several reasons people don't love them. And I'm always just kind of, I always kind of laugh at the reasons people don't love them. I get, you know, it's kind of funny. We're talking about Ghost here on a podcast with a, a gentleman who is the lead vocalist of a Christian band. But as you'll hear in this podcast or this interview coming up, John Cooper loves all kinds of stuff and Skillet, as you know, is toured with all kinds of bands that are decidedly not Christian. All that all that aside, I get why people wouldn't like Ghost because of the satanic element, but I've always looked at that as just kind of a a funny gimmick in a way, because even though they play it off seriously, of course when you see him live, he, you know, makes it kind of comedic in the way he talks in between the songs. And even though the lyrics are written in a serious manner, I still always look at them very tongue in cheek, you know, and, but outside of that, I'm saying the reasons that people don't like Ghost always kind of crack me up, like, you know, because they won the Grammy for best metal band. It's like, and they're not metal. Big deal. You know, it's the Grammys. The Grammys are about as irrelevant as a crap that I took last week. So I don't see how that's even an argument. You know, Ghost is an amazing, melodic, hard rock band that has metal elements at times. They also have non-rock elements at times. And they're ever-changing, which I think is beautiful when bands can pull that off brilliantly. When you, you know, if you listen to Ghost's first album and listen to where they're at now, it's totally different, even though it still sounds like Ghost because you've still got the same voice, the same writer. Of course, there's different musicians involved, but you know that to, that, that music is 99% from Tobias and probably not any of the other musicians in the band. You know, I could be wrong, but regardless, they put on an excellent show. I've seen them many times at this show. They played, I believe, two, could have, been, could have been three even, new tracks off the album that is coming, I believe, next month. Should have looked that up when that album's coming. There's already three or four singles out. And actually, this week, just a day or two ago, they released the song 20s, which my former co-host here at the podcast, Jason, messaged me and said, hey, this song's kind of interesting. I checked it out, and that's a good way to put it. I don't really know if I really dig it or not. You know, it's it's not amazing, but it's not bad. But it's there's a lot of songs that I hear like that that two months later I absolutely love, or two months later I like never want to hear again. So we'll see which way that goes. But the other tracks from the album that they've released, like Hunter's Moon and Call Me Sunshine, are great songs. So right in the vein of Ghost. And on top of that, we also had Volbeat, which I am a bigger fan of Volbeat than I am of Ghost. And I've seen Volbeat live several times 
So it wasn't the end of the world that I didn't get to see him. I'm glad I got to hear it. But, you know, even when you're in a working environment and you know you're not going there to enjoy the show and check it out, you still kind of get that feeling like, man, that band's like right around the corner and I can't go in there and watch them. But they're musicians and music is meant for the ears, right? So thankfully I got to hear it. It sounded great. They, you know, my only complaint, of course, being a dork fan is that, you know, this happens with a lot of bands that, such as Volbeat, their trajectory has been on an upward incline over the past, like, literally 10 years. You know, they've been a band for, like, 20 years, and their success in America has really picked up over the last decade. So, of course, when you put together a set list, you're going to focus on that past decade. And to me, Volbeat, Volbeat's greatest material is their first four albums, hands down. And I'm not one of those dorks like, you know, that say stuff like that about Metallica or whatever. You know, I still listen to Volbeat. I like the music they've released since, but it just didn't hit me the same as the earlier stuff did. Until the new album that came out late last year. I talked about it on the Best of 2021 episode. I feel like a lot of songs on there are returned to the earlier sound of Volbeat. And they played a few of those songs, which was great. Servant of the Mind is a fantastic song, so I was glad that that was included in the set list. But regardless, if you're one of those people that are on the side that dig Volbeat and Ghost, or one or the other, this is definitely a tour to check out. You know, they both played... Volbeat played, like, right at 1 hour and 20 minutes, and Ghost was, I think, an hour and 30 minutes. So, I mean, it's... uh. Perfect Night of Rock and Roll and Twin Temple was about 25, 30 minutes. There's a rock show that's out there. You know, it's great to see rock bands in, you know, at the arena level, even if it's not, you know, a sold out mega arena. It's still an arena tour and they're still putting butts in the seats. You know, I was happy to see like how many people piled into that show in Dallas. I've been to shows in Dallas Going back to what was the first show in Dallas I saw? Maybe 94. Many, many, many shows throughout the years at many, many different venues. But I have never been to the Fair Park Coliseum. And I've seen many shows, you know, listed as playing there throughout the years that I didn't go to, obviously. And I would just like to say here on record that that's just a shitty venue. And I don't say that lightly. Because, you know, there's some venues out there that are kind of run down that, you know, still have a good feel to them. You know, the Canes Ballroom before they remodeled was kind of, you know, not the greatest looking place in the world, but it still was excellent because it's the Canes and it sounded great. But the Fair Park Coliseum, it's just the layout of it, the logistics of it. It's You could tell that it was meant... You know, it's at the fair, at the fairgrounds, obviously. It's a fair park. It was meant for, like, rodeos and that kind of thing. And that that's the way it's set up with two separate sides, two separate concourses. It's just a, a weird logistic thing for a show. And on top of that, the sound just wasn't great for a concert. It wasn't horrible, but it just, it's one of those arenas that if you get, if you're on the side, it just loses a lot. You know, because I kind of walked around the place during Ghost. And it would just drop, the sound would just drop out or just get muffled. And I'm just... Anyway, that's my bitching about the Fair Park Coliseum. 
no one really cares. It's done and gone. So, I'm just letting you know that if there's shows there in the future, I probably won't attend them. But there's so many venues in Dallas now that that probably won't be the case anyway. So, I'm, I don't know if stuff was going on that night, why the show wasn't at the Bomb Factory or even the American Airlines Center. It's, you know, probably a little too big for that show, but they could have done it like in the lower bowl or something. But there was probably a Dallas Mavericks game. Who knows? All right, let's move along. Quit rambling. I feel like there was something else I wanted to bring up, but I'm not going to worry about it because it's not at the top of my head. John Cooper, the lead vocalist and bassist of Skillet. Skillet's now been around for since 96. John Cooper, founding member, basically the, the only original member left. But... His wife, Corey, has been in the band for a good majority of that time now as well. And as we talk about in this episode, this interview coming up, Jen and Seth have been in the band now for well over a decade as well. I think since probably like 2009 or 10. This lineup, since they've joined the band, you know, of course, the band's seen their most consistent success. That I know they had some success, you know, before this current lineup, but... The skillet that people know and love, that is the mainstream rock juggernaut that they have now become. Definitely seen the hype of their career over this past decade. And I say juggernaut because, you know, it's like I do this podcast, so I'm always trying to keep up with stuff. And I know that just in general, you know, me and Jason used to talk a lot about how we were just we're just music dorks in 90. If we get together and hang out, or we send a message to each other, 75% of the time, it's probably about music. As a person that greatly follows this stuff, I know just as well as anybody that Skillet, you know, is a big band. They headline tours with great bands under them, you know, that that people look at as huge as themselves. They'll, they'll play festivals as a headliner or like the second band down. But I just didn't realize like how big this band's reach was. Until I was like looking at their Spotify numbers and YouTube's numbers, you know, like leading up to this interview. And I was just shocked that they have, I think almost, I think it was like eight, seven or eight songs with over a hundred million listens on Spotify alone. And that's pretty impressive because there's bands that you would view as being bigger than Skillet that don't have a single song with over a hundred million listens. And then on top of that, the song Monster, which is like their highest listened to song on Spotify, when you combine YouTube and every other platform, read something like it's over 4 billion streams, and it's like one of the top three, I think, most streamed rock songs in history now, which is just awesome, you know, for this band, and just always crazy whenever I read stats like that, so... Very glad to have John Cooper here to talk about this new album. The new album came out here in mid-January. We talked pretty early on about a song, Destiny. When I first heard that, it, you know, I, I just love when I hear a song. You know, every once in a while a song comes along that the chorus is just so huge that it it just resonates with me and just sticks with me. And that's exactly what this song did. Like, just sonically and musically, the chorus is just extremely epic, even though the song itself, you know, is a typical, like, four-minute rock song. 
and sounds like Skillet and even talks about how it's the most probably Skillet sounding song on the album compared to that it could fit on other albums, that kind of thing. But that chorus is just so massive to me. And then on top of that, you know, just lyrically, it's got a great message. It's one of those songs that can just kind of, you know, lift you up if you're feeling down. And, you know, Skillet has always done that lyrically. And that's another thing that to point out is that their, you know, their, their lyrics have always been, even though they're a Christian band, you can take the lyrics, even if you weren't a Christian, you could take the lyrics because they're not in your face that, hey, this is a song about faith or this is a song about Christianity. You can take the song and apply it to yourself in whatever way, and it could help you. Those words can help you. And, you know, I don't know kind of where I'm going with this, but I think you know what I mean. Very happy to have John on here to talk about all this stuff. So let's just jump into it. Here's John Cooper of Skillet. You in a looks like a locker room or something there. Or? I, I am in a uh, not the best dressing room of my career. <laughs> it's like it's like this big. Look at this. Yeah. You know what we have? We have a bathroom, so I am not complaining at all. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. <laughs> what are the percentages on that? Usually, like well, this not too often is good because thankfully this is an arena tour, so there's always a bathroom. But but yeah. but but not you know on other tours. It's hit and miss, man. You're always thinking, oh, please, please let there be a restroom backstage. You never know, bro. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Well, just kind of jumping into this. Dominion's been out now a little over a month. You happy with the response you've gotten from fans and media so far from this thing? Sorry, do my thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going good. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I didn't have time to set this up before we did it. Now I can see that my head's getting cut off. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's going great. Yeah, Dominion's been out, I think you're right, about a month. Uh, fans really, really love it. You know, that's always the, that's always the, the, the most important thing, you know, you, you got to get those, those people that have been with you for a long time. You know, you have this, like, I, I want to make those people happy because they've been with me so long and they'll let you know, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll let you know if they don't like it. And so, right. you know, the record came out and the fan response was really big. Uh, you know, one of the things I wasn't surprising was I had a lot of messages like man you know hadn't loved the last couple of records but this record brought me back i was surprised because you know our our records have continued to sell so you you don't always know you lose some fans you gain brand new fans and this one seems to be bringing in some other people back and new fans so i don't know what that means except that it good i hope you like it you know we love the record so i hope the fans dig it the song, the song that jumped out to me at first listen was Destiny, and that's the song I just constantly go back to. Like, what's your favorite track or a couple of your favorite tracks on the album? Oh, that's cool to hear, man. Um, you, I think that you're the only interview that I've had who has said that. Okay. Um, that I can remember. And it's cool because Destiny is my favorite song on the record. So nice. I get to talk about it all the time, but nobody has ever led with – so me and you – 
we're basically awesome. All right. So, <laughs> right. Uh, you know, but, but some fans have said that it was their favorite. I've seen those messages to me. Destiny is the song that is the most uh, like skillet. You know, it's the most that kind of sounds like it could have been on a, a different skillet album. You know, maybe that's the reason I like it because that's what I tend to, um, you, you know, every artist has a way they tend to write, you know, it's something that, it's the way that you express something and it begins to sound, you know, like, oh, that kind of sounds like Skillet. You want to try new things. You don't want to just keep doing the same thing over and over. But at the same time, there's a certain amount of people that like that, that thing that you do. You know what I mean? Like, I never personally got tired of uh, that thing you two did, you know, uh, with uh, Joshua Tree and, and Rattle and Hum and, and, and all those great records. So uh, ACDC. I don't want ACDC to do anything new. Just keep doing what, what, do what you do and don't mess with it, you know? Right. So Destiny is a song that's the most like older skillet and it's very melodic, but it's heavy. And it's got a really uplifting message. I mean, it's about, uh, on a personal level, that song is about forgiveness, you know, forgiving someone. You know, we, we all struggle with bitterness or to some degree, forgiving someone that doesn't deserve it. But what you end up finding is, is that when you don't forgive someone, it, it just, it's like a poison, you know, it's a poison inside of you that just, you get bitter and it gets worse and worse. And so I think there's an interesting point to be made that forgiveness is uh, me forgiving you is not actually for you in the end. It actually does the most for me. You know what I mean? If I'm bitter and that's what that song is saying, it's saying, uh, Darkness isn't my destiny. I don't have to give in and become this person that I don't want to be. Um, and so that's why that song is so Im- important to me because I've had issues in my life uh, where I've struggled with uh, deep, deep anger um, and some dark, dark, darker side of me where I have wanted to hurt people uh, who hurt me. And um, I had to work through that forgiveness. And that's a longer story. But the good news is, is that I did work through that forgiveness and I found such peace afterwards. And so I want to kind of pass that along to people. If you're struggling, if you've been hurt, if you've been struggling with depression and whatever that is. Other songs that I think that fans seem to like on the record, um, probably Standing in the Storm. That seems to be a big one that has jumped out to a lot of fans. And that one probably brings in some of our Linkin Park uh, influences, some, some more of the hip hop influences that would be more you know, electronic, but also metal, that kind of stuff. There's a convergence on Standing in the Storm that I think is, I think is kind of cool. It even has a tiny bit of rapping. It's not really rapping, but it's more like the, the syncopation right. uh, that you may hear, you may hear on a, a Disturbed song, you know, uh, like old Disturbed, especially like, you know, Down with a Sickness or something like that. It's, it's almost rap, but it's kind of screamy rap. I like, I like, I'm a big fan of Disturbed. So I think that's kind of cool. Well, when you mentioned electronic elements, something I've always wondered about with bands such as yours that incorporates that into a lot of songs. Is that something that when you're writing, do you envision that stuff while you're writing a, a guitar part as well? Or is that something that comes after a song's completed and then you just add elements to it to enhance it? That's a great question. You know, it can kind of go either way. We've been doing electronics in our song, our music for so long that sometimes I can, I can envision it. I kind of know what it's going to be like. Sometimes we'll start though with the music already done before we begin, 
you know, really writing uh, uh, the, the lyrics or the melody. Uh, my wife, Corey, plays in Skillet. Some people don't know. She is, uh, in fact, we're celebrating 25 years of marriage, March 1st. So that's pretty oh, wow. cool. Congrats. 25, yeah, yeah, thank you. 25 years of marriage, 26 years of Skillet. She, and so Corey produces a lot of our, our music, and she's a fantastic uh, programmer uh, and keyboard player, and she plays guitar as well. So a lot of times she will come up with this great, weird electronic stuff and i'll hear it and and maybe i will add a guitar part to it i'll be like oh i can write a guitar riff for that or maybe she already had it to start with so that really helps if you have the person that does the programming in the band then it sort of becomes your sound and you're not you're not relying on an outside source you know so for lincoln park it would be really hard to imagine lincoln park without all their electronics right i mean all with all the especially like when hybrid theory came out, all the record scratching and all those hip hop beats, it would be pretty tough to imagine Linkin Park without those elements, you know, Trent Reznor. I mean, without Trent Reznor's industrial stuff, I I don't know what that would, you know, look like for nine inch nails. Of course, Trent Reznor's talented. So he can, he can kind of do anything sound (laughs) on tracks and all sorts of other, but for nine inch nails, it's going to be weird without that industrial machine noises you know go into a sawmill and record a nine inch nail song or whatever however he does what he does you know (laughs) (laughs) that was meant to be complimentary and uh by the way in case anybody didn't pick up on that it's a very big if you can go to a sawmill and make a hit song from the noises then you're pretty awesome (laughs) that's right (laughs) well i guess a kind of another question along writing lines as well like you guys have most of your songs have the dual vocals when you're coming up with lyrics and melody lines and all that stuff, is that something that's thought of while that's going on? Like I'm going to sing this, she's going to sing this, or is that something that comes after it's all written? You know, that's also very similar. I mean, a lot of times I'll have that stuff in my head. I'll be like, this is what I want. It needs to be that. And this, not to keep talking about Lincoln Park. So I feel like I'm promoting Lincoln Park more than promoting myself. Right. <laughs> Everybody go listen to my record. You know, screw Lincoln Park. No, right. uh, no uh, you know, but, but, but bands like that, I mean, they're certainly not the only one. You, you also hear this in, in hip hop a lot, especially if it's an artist, um, I, even in pop, but you know, like the, uh, the black eyed peas. Okay. Or a hip hop artist where you have a rapper and then they have a guest vocalist. You have Mary J Blige, just singing, you know, with a rapper. And so you have the rap, then you have the singing. It's, it's basically hip hop and urban music has just done that really well. You're adding hooks upon hooks upon hooks. You also get that in the old Michael Jackson music, uh, Thriller, and um, that amazing production. So um, I kind of started envisioning Skillet trying that. Why don't we try that with, but with two singers, with a guy and a girl? Now, you may have had some of those things on older stuff like Meatloaf, you know, Fleetwood Mac in the seventies, it was very theatrical and, you know, very almost like musical almost even like ABBA, you know, I know I'm, these are all like crazy references, but <laughs> all that goes into what makes Skillet Skillet about let's bring the drama of that into what Skillet does. Um, actually, Evanescence did that as well, of course, on their, that first massive hit they had with the guy, you know, the guy from 12 stones, wake me up, wake right. me up. It's like, you're having all these hooks. And so I can hear those things generally when I'm writing. Um, that probably comes from my classical music you know, background. My mom was a piano teacher. Um, 
So I grew up playing classical piano. I actually wasn't allowed to listen to any rock music or even pop music, nothing with drums, nothing with guitar. And so my whole upbringing was classical um, as well as uh, church, like church music, you know, gospel music, whatever. church music, classical music. A lot of people don't know that I played the trombone as well. <laughs> I played the trombone and, and, you know, marching band and symphonic band all the way through college and stuff. So that classical music background probably plays into the orchestration of Skillet's vocals and instrumentation. Kind of a side question based off of what you just said, like at what age were you able to listen to secular music or outside of classical music or right. was it something you just snuck and started listening to on your own or how did that kind of incorporate itself in? Right. Yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> funny because for anybody watching the, the show now, it's under 30 <laughs> or under 40, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they don't know how awesome it was to grow up in the eighties uh, because, you know, now, you know, you, you go, to, you go to the mall or whatever it is that young people do and all you hear is pop music. But when we were growing up, you'd go to the mall and you'd hear Metallica and, and you'd hear Bon Jovi and Motley Crue. I mean, you'd hear, you'd go to, you go to the ice cream shop and they would be playing Motley Crue, you know, wild side or something, you know? Yeah metal was everywhere and so when i really began you know hearing metal i was just out and and so my best friend got his first guitar when he was in sixth grade you know so he starts learning how to play all these you know wild side and panama and you know, van halen and all and i'd be like what is this music show it to me so i would hear all the music at my friend's house by the time i was in sixth grade and i just fell in love I fell in love with metal, uh, glam metal, uh, speed metal as well. I mean, I guess early Metallica would probably, would that be classified as speed metal? Wouldn't it be? I would call yeah. it thrash even. Thrash, yeah. I was, oh man, I love, I just loved it. And so that's when I really got into music and I, I was just one. I mean, it was just, I had never heard anything like it. It made me feel good in a way that no other music made me feel good. But kind of bringing it back to the, the album for a second, I read in the bio for it that it said you guys recorded this 100% remotely. Like, what yeah. was that? <laughs> what was that process like? I assume that's probably the first time you guys had done something like that on a full album scale. Yeah, it was bizarre. I, I'm telling you, it's, it's the weirdest thing. All right. And we wouldn't have been able to do it if Corey, uh, my wife, wasn't a producer. Okay. So I'm working with uh, Kevin Churko. Uh, and uh, his son, Kane Churko. In case people don't know who Kevin Churko is, he's my favorite producer. Kevin Churko did all the Five Finger Death Punch records, uh, which I'm a, I'm a huge Five Finger Death Punch fan, which is how I heard of Kevin Churko. Uh, Ozzy, Papa Roach. I actually met Kevin through uh, Jacoby Shaddix from Papa Roach, who's a good friend of mine. When they were, they, I think around 2013 or 14, when they had recorded that record, and I was listening to the record with Jacoby before it came out. And I was like, dude, this, your vocals sound amazing on this record. It's uh, the production is so great. And he says, he's like, yeah, Churko really did a great job. And, and my, I was like, are you talking about Kevin Churko? Kevin did this record. And he said, yeah. And I said, do you think you'd give me his phone number? <laughs> it's like, like we're a bunch of junior high school girls, you know, <laughs> right. give me his phone number. So I, I called Kevin Jerko and, and he knew who Skillet was, which I was surprised. So we started a relationship there. He's an amazing producer. And so we were scheduled to fly out to work with Kevin on a couple of new songs. 
And uh, because of COVID restrictions, if, if everybody, everybody obviously knows, you know, all the travel restrictions kept changing. Certain cities were putting new ordinances and then changing it. You know, it just didn't work out. And I was really bummed because I was like, Kevin, I really want to work on this song. And I said, what if we get together on Zoom? We'll throw around some ideas. It probably isn't going to work, but it might, you know? And so anyway, all this to say, long story short, we got on Zoom and it went really good. I couldn't believe it because I didn't want to do Zoom. Kevin didn't want to do Zoom, but we did it. And then it just went really well. And so Kevin had a, a bunch of tracks that he had produced some ideas and he sent them over to us. And then we went into my studio with my wife and then we fiddled around and added guitars and did our thing. And, and I sang and sent it back. And all of a sudden, four days later, we were done. I mean, it was, it was with a song and it's, and it was good. And so then I got kind of, then I got kind of superstitious. <laughs> I was like, that song went so good. It was surviving the game was the first song we wrote. Then I was like, I don't want to fly out there. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's like the football player that doesn't change his socks after winning a game. You know, I was like, I don't, I don't want to come. So we ended up recording the entire record um, in my studio and then Kevin and Kane in their studio. And it just worked. I think one of the things that made it cool, honest, I'm just self-deprecatingly being honest, was that because I wasn't there, I wasn't, I wasn't there to naysay certain things that maybe I would naysay, you know, like, I don't know that, I don't know about that chord. That doesn't sound very skillet or I, that drum, the drums are a little this or that or the other. I wasn't there to naysay. And it gave Kevin, I think a little opportunity to try some things that maybe I wouldn't have liked at first. And then when I heard it, I was like, now I see what he's doing. <laughs> or, I, or I would send him something and then he would send it back to me and he would have changed my chords. And I would have been like, dude, you changed my chords but I wasn't there. And I was like, oh, maybe it's better. It's probably better. <laughs> so sometimes you have to let go a little bit in order to try something new. Don't be cocky and don't be arrogant and be humble enough to say, if you're working with your favorite producers, why don't you let them do something that you wouldn't do? And I think it made a big difference on the album. So having a good experience doing that, is that something you think you guys might try again in the future or? You, just well, you, can't change, you can't change the socks now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, no, I'm just joking. I don't, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, the, the, the bad part about it was that part of what I love about recording with Kevin and Kane is that we're all really good friends. So I'm like, I didn't get to see them. You know, we didn't get to hang out and have a meal together. And, and that was a bummer. Um, but it did go so good that I, I wouldn't mind doing, doing like this again uh, if we had to. But Lord willing, we won't have to, you know, hopefully the world's opening up. They, hopefully we're on the backside of all of this stuff. And next time we, we can hang out together, you know. Right. Shifting a little bit from music for a second. You have been in the headlines a lot over the past few months. And from sites like Blabbermouth, based off of stuff from your podcast or other interviews. Is that something that do you worry about alienating any fans with anything you say? Cause I mean, most of the stuff you're talking about, it's always thought provoking and it requires discussion. It's thought provoking as well, but you still get a lot of fans that just don't want to hear from musicians in that sense or that kind of thing. But how do you handle that? Or do you even pay attention to that kind of thing? Sure. Sure. It, you know, it is unfortunate. I mean, um, you definitely get into dicey territory when you're talking about, life issues and culture and things like that. 
I kind of wanted to try to do it because out of a genuine love for people, because I know so many people personally who have just gotten so confused and they're, 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 they're anxious all the time and they're stressed out all the time. And I wanted to do it to try to help namely young people who maybe don't have time to, to read history, to read what's happening in the world, uh, philosophy. A lot of the times they are long discussions. So I do realize that not everybody's going to dig that. The thing that I don't like to be 100% honest with you is, as you just said, a lot of times they're long discussions. So let me give you an example. I listen to podcasts or people about politics that I don't agree with at all. I mean, 100%. I would never, ever agree with them. But when I listen to them explain why they believe what they believe, I go, oh, I see what you're saying. You know, it, doesn't, it doesn't make me mad. It doesn't bother me. There's a thought process of why they get there. And I appreciate long form podcasts because it does that. The thing that is not helpful, I think, in our society is that what people will do, whatever side you're on, is they go on and listen to a podcast and they take the one sentence that is the most inflammatory thing possible. And then they go, so-and-so says, you know, dogs are stupid or whatever, you know, uh, <laughs> they hate dogs. And then everybody goes, I hate you for hating dogs. But really, if you had listened to the thought process, you would understand that, that this was very pensive and there's a lot of thoughts that go into it. And I'm always gracious towards someone else disagreeing with me. I mean, I always say things like that. And I would say this, I have 15 employees besides my band. Almost no one that works for me shares the same faith that I do. Most everybody that works with me are, are atheist or, or agnostic or agnostic moving towards atheist. Almost none of them hold the same political positions I do. And they're, they're, my they're like my best friends. We live together on the road in a bus. And I would say this um, for Skillet. I mean, most of the people that work for me have worked for me. There's hardly anybody that works for me that hasn't worked for me less than five or seven years. I mean, these are people that worked for me for 15 years now as atheists. I'm a Christian as whatever they vote for. And I'm the opposite. And we get along really great. So I think that, it, that it's, it, it's not great when the headlines come out to try to sow something uber negative when that wasn't really the heart behind it. So yes, I don't love that that happens. It's unfortunate. At the same time, I believe very much in free speech and I've never called for anyone to be deplatformed or canceled. I don't care if people make fun of me or even my faith in particular or say terrible things about what I believe. I would never ask for them to be canceled or pulled off social media. I would just, I would just argue the philosophy, you know? And to me, that... To me, that's what true liberalism is. It's conversation back and forth. And if you don't like it, then tur turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that's where I stand on it. So it can make me seem very rigid and very unfriendly. In reality, that's not the case. I mean, I've toured with Corey Taylor from Slipknot. He has a good, uh, I consider us to be good friends. Uh, Jacoby from Papa Roach. These are good friends of mine. We don't agree with, on a lot of things and it's never once bothered our friendship. And uh, I appreciate knowing what other people think. So that's that's my bag. I guess kind of a slightly better subject or a subject most people could agree upon is a strong relationship. And like you mentioned, you guys are coming up on 25 years of marriage. 
And a lot of people couldn't work with their spouse or their better half on a regular basis. And you guys are, <laughs> you know, in the thick of it and your careers are intertwined. Like, how do you think doing that for so long has strengthened your relationship, like your personal relationship? Mm. Yeah, 25 years. And she <laughs> definitely is my better half, by the way. Um, yeah, I mean, we're so lucky. I mean, honestly, um, obviously, let's just be honest. Being married is hard work. Anybody that's married that's watching this podcast knows that. There it is. You're not going to get along sometimes. Um, people come up to me at every show, guys and girls, and they go, I could never work with my, my spouse ever. I could never spend 24 hours a day with my spouse. It, it, yeah, it has its moments because you, we used to be in a bus with 12 other people. So we had 14 people in one bus. And, and two of those people were my own kids. So they were, they were babies at the time. That is hard work. You're going to have those moments. But I think that in that, there's something really beautiful about it that has very much caused the entire skillet group, uh, as trite or cheesy as this sounds, the whole group feels like a family because we are. And uh, my, my kids have been on the road since they were babies. Uh, my kids now are 19 and 16, FYI. So they two months old five months old, you know, and, and they were there. We, so we, everybody would have to kind of roll like a family. You can't be screaming in the bus all night long when, when you got two babies asleep. And so it just became this atmosphere where everybody's kind of in it together. And like I said, when you have employees that have worked for you for 12, 13 years, 15 years, that, that really says something. Um, and, and not to, uh, I not to, to, to pat myself on the back in any way, just, just giving you the, the goods. I think we were probably one of the only, probably one of the few bands that kept all of those employees on salary for all of, you know, 2020 um, when we had no income, you know, but it's been a family for 10 years, 15 years. Why, why change that now? They, they've done a lot for me and I want to do what I, you know, I want to pay it forward, whatever the terminology you prefer. That's not to pat myself on the back. That's to say they've been extremely loyal to me and I want to be loyal to them. So I think that the, the marriage relationship has very much made it uh, a family atmosphere. And then when we tour with other bands, they pick up on that as well. You know, I think one of my, the, one of my favorite skillet memories of all time, this will blow away some people. I don't know if this has ever been shared on a podcast before. One of my favorite skillet memories of all time is... Um, uh, Maria from In This Moment um, at catering, uh, playing Barbies with my daughter when my when my daughter was seven years old. You know, she, my daughter's showing her her Barbie dolls and her pet her little pets or whatever they were called, and thinking if only if fans knew what was happening behind stage at this metal show, <laughs> and you're seeing very different kinds of people from different places have a meal together and be human beings. It was just so beautiful. One of my favorite memories of being on tour. Well, I guess in that same kind of sense, you mentioned that family atmosphere, the lineup of Skillet, you know, now has been the same lineup for well over a decade. And before that, you had a lot of changes going on here and there. Like, do you, even though you had sec success before this current lineup, do you kind of look at this lineup and what was previously as two separate entities? Ah, that's an interesting question. I hadn't considered that because I've literally never considered that because you do have that with 
with Van Halen or, or Van Hagar. Yeah. You know, there are those yeah. times when something shifts. I kind of have never looked at it that way myself, but that's not to say that maybe perhaps I shouldn't. I've just never contemplated it. I think the reason is, is because um, before, before we had Seth and Jen, which as you mentioned, has been well over a decade now, before then we did have several other members and those were not what I would call uber successful years, really until 2006 or seven. That's when people started knowing whose skill it was. And probably because my, my wife and I write all the music, it probably doesn't feel as much like a, like a shift. You know, in other words, meaning when Sammy Hagar came on the scene, it wasn't just a brand new voice, but the style of writing seemed to kind of change into something a, a, little, a little bit different, you know? Um, and Skillet didn't really have that. So I don't view it like that, but it's an interesting point. Seth has been in the band now, I believe, for 12 years. Jen has been in the band for at least 13, may, maybe almost 14 now. Final question for you. Throughout the years, you guys, your guys' music has been incorporated in a lot of stuff with WWE, and I'm a big wrestling fan myself. I was just curious if you're a wrestling fan or if that's just a business relationship. Right. Well, here's the thing. I honestly love wrestling, okay. but the truth is, is I'm not necessarily as much up to date. Right. Like I, I know some of the people and I know what they look like. I even know like sometimes their moves, but I don't watch it enough to remember all their names. I love the guy that he's really tall and he's got really long hair and he's got like tattoos on his chest. Uh, and he's, uh, he's called, I've always forget his name. And I, I love that guy. Is he called the, is he Roman something? Oh yeah. Roman reigns. Yeah. Yeah. That guy is yeah. awesome. So, yeah. you know, I, I always love, I'm from Memphis, Tennessee and a oh, lot of yeah. people, yeah. A lot of people don't know that mid South, you know, wrestling was a really big deal. I mean, we had Randy, the macho man, um, Savage, which is my favorite wrestler of all time, would always be on Saturday morning, like public television wrestling, like local. And so I grew up watching wrestling. And uh, another funny story, Jerry, Jerry Lawler, yeah. uh, he lived two houses down from my grandmother. And oh, so wow. I would go, yeah, I'd go visit my grandma. Like, Can I go over to see if, if Jerry Lawler's at his house? So I'd walk by the house. I only knocked on his door one time and I got his autograph. It was awesome. So yeah, you know, I, I actually do love wrestling. Uh, WWE has been very, very good to Skillet. They believed in Skillet when really other people didn't really, they didn't get it. You know, they were, they were like, I don't want to get involved with, with the skill. I don't get them. I don't know what they're all about. And WWE took a chance on us. And I, I actually think it was WWE that propelled us to becoming an act at radio. I really do. So I owe them a lot. And uh, they also put us on their video games, which are hugely successful games. And, uh, and of course, it probably helps that I'm a fan because I, I promote WWE in general. I think I just like it. It's fun. It's a fun thing to take your son to, you know? Right. Right on, man. Well, I really love the new album. Looking forward to seeing what you guys got coming in the future. And I appreciate you taking the time with me today. Uh, so cool. I sure loved being on the show. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. There you go. John Cooper of Skillet. A huge thank you to Velvet of the Media Collective for helping with that one. And of course, a massive thank you to John for taking out some time there to sit there and talk to me on Zoom for a bit. It was on a show day, as you could probably tell there at the beginning of that, of that interview. Like we mentioned there, new album Dominion came out in January, so check that if you have not yet. 
A lot of cool stuff that we talked about. WWE there towards the end. If you're not, if you're not familiar, if you don't pay attention to wrestling, or even if you do and you aren't familiar with the fact that Skillet, Skillet's music has been used many times over the past probably 12, 15 years. And most recently, I know their song Legendary was the theme song for Raw for a year or two. You know, the WWE will change the theme song for Raw and SmackDown every year or two. And Legendary was the theme song around like 2019, 2020, I think. And then throughout the years, they'll use their songs for, you know, pay-per-views or video packages and that kind of stuff. So really cool to, to talk a little bit about that. And then, of course, you know, all the other stuff we mentioned. So once again, massive thank you to, to John Cooper, a skillet. And this is your first time listening because you're a skillet fan. I appreciate you checking this out along the, the veins of Skillet. Some past guests of this podcast include members of Shinedown, Fat on Josh Todd of Buck Cherry, Elias from Nonpoint, John Connolly of Seven Dust, Kevin Martin of Candlebox, two of the members of Clutch, Neil Fallon and Tim Salt, Fat on members of Drowning Pool, Saving Abel, Sons of Texas, Saul, Royal Republic, Tetrarch, Trapped, you know, outside of that vein as well. We've had on Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, such as Gene Simmons of Kiss, Glenn Hughes of Deep Purple and the Dead Daisies, Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses, Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard and Dio, had on members of Megadeth, Testament, Tesla, Warrant, Shooter Jennings, Vanilla Ice has been on this podcast. All kinds of people throughout the years. We just had on Jeff Tate, the original voice of Queensryche, just last week. So check that one out if you have not yet. We've got some cool stuff coming up. So be on the lookout. Wherever you're listening to this right now, hit like, subscribe, follow, whatever it is, so you don't miss future episodes. You can listen pretty much anywhere. We're on Spotify. Apple Music, you can listen directly from the website, which is thethunderunderground.com. All the social medias are there, so follow on all those. And anytime you see a post from Thunder Underground, like it or comment or share or anything like that is an easy way to help out the podcast. It spreads it around. Great help. So much appreciate when you do that. I guess that covers it for another week. Once again, a huge thank you to Med Farm, Sunset Tattoo. DEB Concerts, and John Cooper of Skillet. And until next time. That's a great name for a podcast. I love it. <laughs> Thank you. So Straight cool. from the, the Aussie song. <laughs> it's so cool. <laughs> All right. I love that. Thunder Underground, y'all.